Okay, of course idolatry is something quite subjective and therefore is different from person to person. I've chosen one area that I found particularly evident that I'm an idolatrous. Um, that's food and specifically cake, as you can see up on the screen. Um, I really like cakes. Uh, I love baking. I love that glorious smell that fills a house when you've got a cake in the oven. Um, but most of all, I love just like stuffing my face with a finished product. Um, up on the screen, you can see a couple examples of the most tasty cakes in the world, uh, according to me. I don't know if you've ever tasted them, but they're amazing. Uh, for, some of, for some of you that know me, I love talking about Sweden. Uh, I'm half Swedish, and I enjoy the rich culture and traditions that Sweden has, uh, especially one important tradition, fika. Um, there's no perfect translation for fika, uh, but it effectively means a coffee break, and it's more often than not accompanied by one of those cinnamon buns at the top. Um, now, uh, it's not unusual to have this, you know, a few times a day, this fika. Uh, and I must admit, there's nothing that I object to. Uh, I'm a student, and when I'm working, I, my mind starts to drift off, and I feel like taking a break. I think I deserve a bit of cake, maybe. It's so delicious, it's really good, and it's probably good use of my time. So, go and, you know, gorge, gorge myself a little bit. Um, in other situations, when I'm sitting, you know, trying to write a talk for church, uh, and I feel maybe I need a pleasantly tasting distraction, so I'll just, you know, go and stuff myself a little bit more. Those almond fingers come in handy in that case. Um, the thing is that one isn't really sufficiently satisfying. Um, I've got to have a couple at least, you know, something to keep me going, something to satisfy my taste buds. Um, the point of this, I thought, was do I ever think about God in the way that I think about food or cake? I have an unquenchable desire to satisfy my tastes, my cravings. Um, but is that for God? Is that for his word? Um, if I'm honest, uh, paper doesn't taste as good as almond fingers. Um, uh, and, yeah, does my mind ever just drift from the mundane to how awesome God's love is for me? Or am I more likely to start thinking about cakes and stuff when I'm praying? Um, I've, taken, I've taken the liberty to bring some of those almond fingers along. Uh, I hope you'll enjoy them with a cup of tea or coffee afterwards. Uh, harmless in moderation. Uh, enjoy the, the talk. Thank you very much. Hi, um, I am Megan, and um, I want to talk to you about uh, singing. I love music. Um, I love singing. I've um, grown up with it. I've grown up um, in various different choirs and different um, schools that I've been in um, throughout my education. Um, last year, I started university, and... Um, the rock gospel choir at UEA was the, the very first thing on my list of things that I wanted to, to get involved in here. Um, and last year, they were kind enough to give me the opportunity to arrange a couple of songs. There was a Christmas one and a, and a separate one. And they let me arrange and conduct. Um, and I was pretty excited about doing this. I was kind of going sister act style you know, wanted to get, get involved a bit. Um, and I stood up there and I, I conducted this choir and I absolutely loved it. I mean, I loved it. I mean, first off... Um, you know, the sound of, of human voices anyway just, just gives me tingles, especially, like, harmonies and stuff. Sorry, I asked Alan before I started this, is it OK if I gush for a while? Is, is that all right? And he's like, yes, gush away. So here I am, gushing. Um, I absolutely love it. It, just, it gives me tingles. Um, but conducting, right, you are standing there in front of a group of, like, 20 people and this massive wall of noise, just beautiful sound just hits you and it just... Oh, I absolutely love it. I, I've loved being a part of it this year. Um, 
and I'm still conducting it, and it's great. And if you're a student um, and you've spent five minutes talking to me, I probably have tried to rope you in, and I'm not going to stop trying, so <laughs> come say hi. Um, but I soon realised um, last term, when I had first started um, conducting and getting involved and kind of plugging choir shamelessly all over campus, um, that actually this was literally starting to, to take over. Um, I think my love of singing and of choirs is, is God-given and I intend to nurture it because I'm excited about the ways that you can use music and singing to, to help people to connect with God. Um, but I soon realised that my, my thoughts, my conversations, my work time, my spare time, if ever I wasn't concentrating on something else, my mind immediately hopped to choir. It's literally the first thing I thought about in the morning. It's all I talked about. My poor housemates must have been absolutely mad. Um, and... And I realised, it, it hit me one day, if I thought about Jesus, let alone spoke or enthused or, or any of that, half as much as I'm thinking about choir at the moment, then I'd be a heck of a lot more of effective a disciple than I am at the moment. Um, and that really challenged me. It had obviously become an idol to me. So there you go. Hi, I'm Ian. Um, I'm going to be talking to you about an idol which... Uh, really affected me and people around me um, about two years ago now. So, it's, yeah, it's gone quick. Um, it's a TV programme called Skins. Um, some of you probably know about it. Basically, uh, it's about teenage life uh, during sixth form. And the three words which pretty much sum it up are sex, drama, drugs. Um, with, with teenagers... You know, that's kind of what's pushed on us. Um, almost not as what we should be doing by people, but we're presented as that is what we do do. And when we see skins, uh, we're presented with this reality. This is what teenagers are doing. Um, they're doing everything else that we do. We take part in, they're going to school, they're playing football. Um, it's things that we usually relate to. And you know, the stories, whilst they're quite far-fetched, uh, it could be someone you know talking to you about it, and individually you could probably believe them. When they all add up, you think, okay, that's a bit, that's going a bit far. But when we see this representation of teenagers and what we should be doing, what we should want, um, it becomes something that we have to live up to. It becomes a model for reality. And it presents us with essentially how life should be. Uh, it, yeah, this model is something that subconsciously, I think, affected so many people around me. Uh, the most obvious example is I'd go, go to a party and people would be like, oh, yeah, yeah, this is, this is a skins party. You know, the, this party is essentially dedicated to gaining these desires of sex, drama, and drugs that skins forces on us, whether... Okay, forces is quite a strong word. Um... But still, we see this, and this desire for sorry, um, this desire for this constant drama really affected many of my friends, and yeah, I got caught up in it as well. And without a big issue coming around a corner, people of that age really felt like lost. They had to have this big impending issue coming up, and when they didn't have it, they'd go out of their way to make sure they did have one. They would seriously, so many people would make problems for themselves. Um, but I think the biggest danger is when people start to associate with these characters. Um, 
they become role models. And yes, there are many bad role models in society. But, you know, with people like Paris Hilton, they're so far removed from society. It's not something people can easily emulate. But with this representation of something that's so close to home, it's so easy for people to fall into this uh, model. And with that, we start to share the same goals as them. Uh, these sex, drama, and drugs all become goals. They're things, whether we admit subconsciously or consciously to ourselves, that was things that really affected so many people close to me. And, yeah, you know, these are things that are commonly associated with teenagers, and they all happen before skins, and they'll carry on going well after them. But, arguably, from my perspective, skins provided the desire, the acceptance, and the justification for these things. So, basically, with skins, it gave an aspiration for, yeah, those three things I've listed many times. Um, a guide to how we should be living, how to gain these things. And that leads to reality, which no one really wants. Well, thank you to uh, Ian and Megan and Chris. Well, for uh, traditional idolatries uh, reviewed for us, ones we've heard of so many times before, food, Sex, drugs, and gospel choir. <laughs> Would you please uh, turn to uh, Philippians uh, chapter 3 and verse, well, most of it really, page 1180. It's a letter from St. Paul to the uh, believers in the church established in Philippi. There are those who Paul recognises present a problem. Chapter 3 and verse 19, their destiny is destruction, their God is their stomach, and their glory is in their shame. And that's really why we uh, looked at, at this passage. Because there's nothing wrong with the stomach, it's the stomach God gave you, there's a difference between the stomach God gave you and having your stomach as your God. And the things that have been reviewed for us this evening are good things. Obviously, it must be a great thing to do to praise God. What about food? Well, we pray in the Lord's Prayer. We'll pray in the Lord's Prayer this service to be given our daily bread. Food is a good thing. Sex. Well in the right place. Sex is fantastic. Uh, what about drugs, though? You're probably saying, how is he going to find a good place for drugs? Well, turn back a couple of pages to Ephesians and chapter 5, uh, page 1176. Uh, chapter 5 and verse 18. St. Paul writes to the church in Ephesus here, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery. Instead, be filled with the Spirit. Well, of course, the most commonly taken drug in our culture is alcohol. Uh, Paul isn't uh, stuck uh, for a metaphor that he wants to pull on. At that point, he doesn't say... Do not go in for piano playing, but instead be filled with the Spirit. Uh, 
there's a reason why he chooses that particular analogy of don't get drunk on wine. Because there's a reasonable possibility that you could confuse the two things. On the day of Pentecost, the early believers are uh, out, uh, almost in the marketplace. And uh, what they are doing is confusable with being drunk. So, uh, drugs may have doubtful value except therapeutically, but the experience of God is theoretically kind of confusable with a druggy kind of experience. There are good things going on here. Nonetheless, if they're taken to the point where their God is their stomach, they're not good at all. Excuse me, so what are we supposed to do about it? How can we help Megan wean herself off gospel choir? Uh, or, or Chris deal with his arm and finger addiction. Well, one, point of, one way, of course, is just to say, well, just give it up. Go, go, go cold turkey on all of these things. Just go cold turkey on gospel choir. Don't go near a choir for months on end. But then look at, well, but, no, not but then. Have a look at chapter 4 of Philippians, page 1181 now. And... Um, Chapter 4, verse 12. Paul says, I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I've learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. Now, I have to tell you, any good Buddhist would would be thrilled to write that sentence. That says in one verse all the secret that any good Buddhist would want to tell you about what they call the principle of detachment. It's not that stuff, things, food, drink are bad. It's that you should not treat them uh, in a way any different from if you don't have them. You should simply be detached from the experience. Paul, you'll be glad to know, is not a particularly good Buddhist and will... Uh, come to qualify that in a moment. But it's an answer that can sometimes be presented as complete. If there are issues that you've got with any of the, the good things that have been described, sometimes someone can take you to that kind of verse in St. Paul, and really what they mean is something much more Buddhist than holy Christian. It's quite legitimate for Paul himself at this point to be quite detached, Uh, This is out of our regular sequence of preaching. Mostly we've been in John. And because it's out of our sequence, and you may not be familiar with the rest of the the, the letter, I am going to do some dotting around. But if you go to uh, chapter 1 and verse 12, now I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it's become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. Paul is in prison when he's writing this letter. He doesn't have access to much by way of food. He gets in the occasional song, no doubt, but sex and drugs are completely off the agenda. So it's quite understandable if, under those circumstances, he is saying, look, I'm, I'm happy however things turn out. 
Whether I'm well-fed or hungry, I can live with it. But it's not the only thing he ever says. It may be that you are here as a student. It may be that your life shares some of the conditions of being a student. I can still remember that great thrill of knowing I was going to go off to university and make a life for myself. Perhaps it's recent enough for you that you can still remember it. If you wanted to eat a whole packet of biscuits, and I say that about myself, not about Chris on this occasion, um, there was going to be no one to stop you. You might feel a bit gross at the end of it, but no one could stop you. Now, I have to say I was really sad. Shortly before going up to university, um, I'd just become a Christian, and nobody in our family um, went to church. It was considered really kind of not very good form to go to church. Uh, So I was really looking forward to university, because I knew that when I went to university, wow, I'd be able to make my own life and go to church. Now, I realize that may not apply to many of you. But it is still true that we have that sense of looking forward to being able to run our own lives. It's not surprising, then, that at a time when we may look forward to running our own lives, the possibility exists of of allowing other things to run away with us a little too much. So what are the answers if you find yourself caught up in uh, an idolatry of one form or another? Well, three dangers to deal with. Firstly, there's a danger of thinking that all this stuff means nothing. There's a posh word for it, asceticism. Uh, And it's that sense of packet of biscuits, it means nothing. I can scoff my face and it means nothing. I wonder how many of us know uh, the song... Uh, Turn your eyes upon Jesus, look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Well, it's never worked for me. I never found the things of earth growing strangely dim in the light of Christ's glory and grace. And when I look at scripture, I'm not surprised. Because I don't find that in scripture the things of this earth are intended to grow strangely dim while I am alive on this earth. After all, according to Paul in uh, chapter 4 here, being well fed is okay. And he would come from a culture that knew much more about famine than we do, but also much more about feasting, because they weren't permanently so well fed. Turn, if you'd like to, on another occasion to uh, his first letter to the Corinthian church in chapter 7 and see all the good things he has to say about marriage. And since that was the only legitimate context in those days for sex, when he's talking about marriage, he's talking about sex. Go to Romans chapter 7 on another occasion and see all the good things he has to say about eating. He's not down on eating at all. And even, I'm not quite sure how to push this, but you can test it yourself, so I'll give you a verse for this one. Go to 2 Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 4. Paul is not on drugs, but he's describing a pretty druggy experience of a person, 
and we reckon it was probably himself, who was caught up into the third heaven and heard inexpressible things that he was forbidden to utter. Now, I, I, um, I've never really been into um, mind-altering drugs, uh, particularly. Should I have said particularly? <laughs> Maybe not. Um, but uh, whatever that is, he's describing something that's pretty mind-bending in a druggy kind of a way. So these are good things. And there's no part of the, the total teaching of Scripture that invites us, if we're caught up in something, to say, well, the only way is just to say, all of that's completely bad, it's nothing, I must uh, move uh, away uh, from that completely for the whole of my life. There is a different danger, though. And that's the danger of thinking that these things are everything. I suppose you could say it's the danger of consumerism. Interesting how many of these things are best with commitment attached to them. Sex. Drugs. That experience happened to St. Paul because he was a Christian believer and he was caught up into the third heaven. Uh, food is, uh, perhaps tastes better if you can enjoy it within the context of knowing that the Lord has given you again your daily bread. All of these things are good, but capable of being enjoyed most when commitment of some kind is at the centre. And the commitment that matters is here described in chapter 3 of Philippians. Verse 12, Not that I've already obtained all this, or have already been made perfect, but I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do. Now, this is an incredibly committing sentence. Forgetting what is behind, straining towards what's ahead, I press on towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenwards in Christ Jesus. what Ian had to say about uh, skins is part of the issue that our culture deals with. That actually, the lie is told to us, these things are best when there is no commitment. Uh, when sex and drugs and food are enjoyed without any relationship to the giver, whether that's the divine giver or the other person with whom you're in relationship. Scripture simply has one thing to say to that. Put commitment at the centre. The third danger is simply the danger of failing. What do you do when you've uh, eaten one packet of biscuits too many? What do you do when you've been to a party and drunk too much again? and you wake up the next morning with the kind of hangover that tells you, I'm never going to do that again, but you know you will. How do you deal with failure when it's a relatively consistent, repeated phenomenon? Well, there are only two ways, aren't there? Either you go back into it, or you pick yourself up, and you don't go back there. 
And it may well be that if that's an issue for you of any kind right now, then you simply need around you others who will be a support. Some of the most powerful Christian witnesses in my own life have been those who I didn't particularly need for my life, but I saw the impact they had on others. Uh, I think of a a rugby-playing friend of mine who was a teetotaler. Quite difficult being a rugby player at uni as a teetotaler. But uh, he regularly accepted the role uh, that when everyone else was just paralytic at the end of the night, his job would be to see them safely home. And the respect he won for the gospel of Jesus Christ was simply enormous. We fail, and we may need picking up. And the role of others, or we may need to find others who can support us faithfully. The real challenge is to live undistracted by these good things. The challenge is to keep them in their place. How could we do that? Well, the answer may be a certain amount of fasting when they're good things. It may be appropriate. Uh, Lent is coming for those people who choose to keep that as a particular season. And it may be that if you're a good friend of Chris, you will simply uh, go to him on Ash Wednesday at the beginning of Lent and clear out from his room all the arm and fingers you can find. Maybe you can go and visit Megan and simply remove all the sheet music in case it gets her into trouble yet again. Of course, the reality is it's so much more difficult to go onto uh, someone else's websites and check what they're looking at. But there too, there are ways of, of buddy systems of ensuring that the websites you go onto can be monitored by a friend. And you can come away from those temptations. That's part of the answer, coming away from that particular temptation. And we're told in Scripture, flee from that kind of temptation. But mostly the answer has to be almost what I want to call a variant of that old song. Turn your eyes upon Jesus Look full in his wonderful face, and the things of earth will grow sharply clear in the light of his glory and grace. Because it makes no sense if we depend only on what we see now. Interestingly enough, some of the sharpest of those, well, for me, I suppose, some of the sharpest temptations that came out of what others were speaking of are the ones I see, not skins, but I can watch late night television if I choose. If we depend only on what we see now, it makes no sense. And what we want, therefore, is a clear and true sight, not not of things growing dim, but a clear and true sight of how things stand now with earthly things, but a a sight that puts them in an eternal perspective. That's all I want to do as we finish, just with three things from this passage. And we're back now in Philippians 3, if you've been somewhere else. Paul says in verse 10, I want to know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of sharing sharing in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death. What does that mean? 
It doesn't mean particularly that Paul is saying, I want to be crucified. It certainly doesn't mean that Paul thinks that he, by, by dying, and he knows in, as he's in jail in Philippi that he's going to die, he, he's not saying that I want to pay the price for everyone else's sin. That's not what he means by uh, becoming like Jesus in his death. What he means is, as Jesus gave up his life for others, Paul wants, at the very core of his being, to be a kind of flame that consumes his, his own self and gives himself for others. Christ was suffer- Christ's sufferings were unique. Christ gives his life on a cross to pay for all that separates you and me from God. That is unrepeatable. But the, the longing to give ourselves for others, that's very repeatable. And that's where Paul is. But he also wants to know Christ in the power of his resurrection. Jesus Christ is raised from the dead so that we know that offering of himself is acceptable before God, so that we know he is raised to be Lord as one who will never die. And Paul wants that for himself. The sufferings and the resurrection are part of the eternal perspective. And then third comes towards the end. Verse 20, our citizenship is in heaven, and we eagerly await a saviour from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control, will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. There was suffering, there was resurrection, and there will finally be transformation. And those three elements constitute an eternal perspective that if we focus upon, we'll put our our food and our uh, TV habits, healthy or otherwise, and, and even our gospel choir into an eternal perspective that is a safe place, but not a dull one. You cannot read chapter 3 of Philippians and come away saying, "Mm, it's all right, I suppose. It's not dull. It's mind-bogglingly, dynamically exciting. Not always in ways we might ask for, but you can't say it's dull. Sufferings and resurrection and transformation are the things that enable us to see everything else clearly. Finally, though, we have to make a choice as to whether or not that is what we want to see. And so let's pray. And I want to pray for you. don't often pray for you directly, but I want to use uh, the verse that stands after our reading concluded tonight, chapter 4 and verse 1. Therefore, my brothers, and we add my sisters, you whom I love and long for, my joy and crown, that is how you should stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. Lord God, we ask you for a a passionate commitment to the 
things of eternity. So that when that TV screen or laptop calls us, when we go to the supermarket and see the lines of food and drink, even when we go to church and find some parts of it that we kind of fall in love with that may not quite be you, give us such a sense of Jesus, his sufferings, his resurrection, his transformation of us, that our hearts may be made glad and that all other things would find their proper place. Give us friends with whom to walk this Christian life, friends with whom we can be ourselves, friends with whom we can use those words, brothers and sisters, who will witness to Christ with us and join with us in challenging the ways that the world around us puts good things, even good created things, in place of God. Amen.